Amen. Please be seated. If you have a Bible with you, you can open to Matthew, the Gospel of Matthew, chapter 6. We'll look at verses 9 through 13 this morning, and the text is also printed on the next page of the bulletin for you. Matthew 6. So let's pray, and then we'll read Scripture. Father, we need your help as we come to consider your word this morning. Our hearts um, need softening toward you. Our minds need reorienting by you. We pray that you will do it by your grace and by your Holy Spirit now. We ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. Jesus said, pray then like this. Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our debts as we also have forgiven our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. This is the gospel of Jesus Christ. Thanks be to God. So, um, do you remember when you first started praying the Lord's Prayer? Uh, I remember that this petition in particular struck me as very strange. Uh, When I became a Christian in college, I'd been kind of a run-of-the-mill Pacific Northwest atheist, so um, I was kind of the poster child for bad theology, biblical illiteracy. Um, My theology was terrible. I knew nothing about the Bible. Thankfully, I had some good friends who um, took me under their wing and and discipled me through college. And it's kind of a side note, if you've never had that kind of a relationship, a discipleship relationship with someone where uh, a more mature Christian than you has sat down with you over a long period of time and uh, taught you about the faith, then you, you need to be in a relationship like that. Uh, and if, you, if that sounds interesting to you, you can come talk to me about it. I can help you with that. But um, <clears throat> anyway, uh, I remember feeling uh, at first very confused about this petition. Lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. Um, so... God is good, right? That's kind of your intro-level Christianity stuff. God is good, but he'd lead us into temptation unless we asked him not to. Like, um, And once we ask, he'll be happy to deliver us from evil, but otherwise maybe he won't. Why not? Uh, hasn't he already delivered us from evil once and for all by saving us? Or are we still somehow in danger of evil? What's going on here? It just seems like a strange thing, right, for Jesus to uh, tell his disciples, people who are Christians, for the rest of their lives to pray this way, to pray this way regularly. I think it requires some theological precision to understand the idea. And and that's not just because this petition raises certain questions like that, uh, but because related questions are raised by various texts of Scripture. So, um, So we're supposed to ask God to lead us not into temptation. And the Apostle James, who is Jesus' half-brother, says this in James 1, verse 13, Let no one say when he is tempted, I am being tempted by God. For God cannot be tempted with evil, and he himself tempts no one. But then in the book of Genesis, you see God tested Abraham. In the book of Job, God permitted the devil to tempt Job because the devil wanted to to tempt him to deny God. 
Right? And God allowed that. <clears throat> and in fact, in Matthew's gospel, it says, uh, immediately after Jesus was baptized at the end of Matthew chapter 3, and a voice came out of heaven saying, this is my beloved son with whom I am well pleased. The very next verse, Matthew chapter 4, the evangelist says, Jesus was led up by the Spirit into the wilderness to be tempted by the devil. So does God tempt us or not? Right? Uh, does he just allow us to be tempted? Does he lead us like he led Jesus to be tempted by the devil? It would take a long time to explore, uh, I think, all the mysteries of God, and we're just not going to go down that road right now, but I think we need to understand um, a little something about temptation. We're helped to understand temptation as, as James defines it. Again, from James chapter 1. In verse 2, it says, Count it all joy, my brothers, when you meet trials of various kinds. And the word for trials there, Greek, is pirasmos. Um, just so you know. <laughs> Count it all joy when you meet pirasmos. So that seems like it's something God is doing that is good, right? <clears throat> Count it all joy. Even though it's hard for us. Trials clearly are hard for us. Then he says later in, in verse 12, <clears throat> Blessed is the man who remains steadfast under trial, Pirasmos. For when he has stood the test, he will receive the crown of life which God has promised to those who love him. Let no one say when he is tempted, Pirazo, which is the verb form of trial, which we've seen a few times. Let no one say when he is tempted, I am being tempted, pirazo, by God. For God cannot be tempted, again the same word, with evil, and he himself tempts no one, again the same word. But each person is tempted when he is lured and enticed by his own desire. Then desire, when it has conceived, gives birth to sin, and sin, when it is fully grown, brings forth death. So it's the same word being used by the apostle for trial, which is something God clearly brings us into in our lives, and temptation, which is something clearly God does not do. Right? It's the same word. A trial is a good thing. It's a difficult thing, right? Nobody ever has fun with trials. Nobody would ever choose trials because they're difficult when circumstances in your life have been orchestrated to test your faith. But God does that. God uses trials to test us, to refine our faith, to grow us. A temptation, same Greek word, temptation is a bad thing that culminates in sin and death, and God definitely does not do that. Right? So we've got to be able to see how these things uh, are held together in tension, right? Brian Chappell says it really well. <clears throat> he says that the trials God uses to build up our faith, Satan tries to hijack and use as temptations to tear down our spiritual commitment. In this sense, the very same circumstance can be a nurturing instrument from God's heart and an injurious temptation in Satan's hand. Ultimately, the key to whether a circumstance is a trial or a temptation is not found in its features but in our heart. The Lord's Prayer teaches us to pray that God, who knows the capabilities of our heart, 
would keep us from anything that Satan could use to overpower our ability to do God's will. All right, so making the distinction here is crucial for our faith. It's crucial for our prayer. If we're going to pray the Lord's Prayer, we need to understand this. Even if we can't fully understand how it's possible, right, that God sends these trials, that the circumstances are used as temptations, right? God leads us into trials to test us and to grow us. And even though those trials are very hard, we're to be thankful. We're to rejoice in what God is doing in them. But those trials become temptations through some combination of the devil's work and our own hearts and the the evil desires and affections of our own hearts. That's what James says. So, for instance, just for an example from the Bible, God put Adam and Eve in the garden and told them they could enjoy themselves, but just don't eat the fruit from the tree that's in the middle of the garden, that tree of the knowledge of good and evil. Right? And clearly this is a trial. Clearly this is a test of their faithfulness, their obedience to him. Right? But then the devil comes into that situation and stirs, stirs up evil desires for the forbidden fruit and it becomes a temptation. And when Adam and Eve give in to the temptation, they sinned and death entered the world, just like James said. And the guilt for this, this sin and this death, the guilt for it lay with them. And it lay with the devil who tempted them. And none of the guilt lay with God, even though it was his trial that they were in, that they failed. Now, Here's the petition as Jesus is teaching us to pray it. He says, lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. And grammatically, the phrase could also read, deliver us from the evil one. Right? If you've got a Bible, probably there's a footnote in it that shows that that's uh, also an appropriate translation of this. Deliver us from evil or deliver us from the evil one, who is the devil. Right? Maybe you're bummed out that it's not more... Precise, right? The use of language that's recorded here. Uh, which is it? Deliver us from evil in general or deliver us from the devil in particular? Uh, I think it's actually helpful that it's ambiguous. So we want God to deliver us from all evil, don't we? Um, all of it. And the devil is the personification of evil. He's evil coming after us. He's evil pursuing us. It doesn't get any worse than that. He's the figurehead of evil. So yeah, let's pray to be delivered from it all, especially from him. And this is what we're praying when we pray this petition of the Lord's Prayer. We're praying, Father, you can send your good trials my way all day long. But unless you change my heart and break the devil's power, I will be tempted and I will fail and I will sin every single time. You put me in the garden, and I'm going to succumb to temptation, and I'm going to eat that fruit every time. And I hate that about myself, but I still clearly desire sin, and I cannot change that about myself. You're going to have to do it. You're going to have to deliver me from myself. You're going to have to deliver me from evil that's pursuing me. Do you feel that? You've got to be delivered from yourself. 
Uh, Jeremiah, the prophet, wrote in, in chapter 17, verse 9 of his prophecy, The heart is deceitful above all things and desperately sick. Who can understand it? The heart is deceitful above all things and desperately sick. Who can understand it? Do you know that about yourself? Do you believe that about yourself? Is it true when you sing that song, Be Thou My Vision? I'm prone to wander. Lord, I feel it. Prone to leave the God I love. I am prone to that. Have you come to grips yet with the fact that the heart is sick, that your heart deceives you in order to get its fill of sin? And that you have no hope of ever even plumbing the depths of it, of figuring it out, your own heart, in order to make some change to it. Um, this week I had a nice lunch with Chip at a pretty good uh, Chinese place. <clears throat> and um, uh, we were talking about opening a, a British pub or something, you know, a brew pub. It sounds delightful to both of us. And I mentioned the fact that, yeah, that's totally my backup plan. Right? Like, that's what I would do if I somehow got involved in some scandal and blew myself out of the ministry by some sin or whatever. And he asked me, are you planning on doing that? <laughs> and, um, no, I'm not planning on it, but my greatest fear is of my own heart. My greatest fear is of the sin that I might commit because I can't control my heart because it deceives me and it's desperately sick. And I can't even understand it, let alone fix it. Right? My greatest fear is what's inside of me. <laughs> do, you, do you truly believe that you cannot trust your own heart? That you can't trust the affections and desires of your heart? That you can't rely on your heart's ability to resist temptation through willpower? I mean, if you believe that, then you know that your only hope to resist temptation is God's deliverance of you from evil. His orchestration of your life to lead you not into a temptation that will overcome you. Right. Otherwise, if you don't believe that about yourself, then your prayer might go something like this. <clears throat> God, next time I'm tempted, help me to try harder. Right? Surround me with more rules, more friends to maybe keep me accountable. Uh, enable the good that's in me to beat the bad that's in me. A friend of mine puts it this way. Just get more cops on the street in my heart. Right? Help me to control myself. But that's going to get you nowhere when you know that your own affections are the source of your temptation. Like James says. Right? Your heart has been deceiving you every day of your life. And you've got the devil coming after you, whispering in your ear. How does the devil tempt us? He tempts the irreligious. <clears throat> he tempts all of us this way, but especially the irreligious. To simple law-breaking. I mean, that's easy, right? He incites us to lust and greed and envy. He persuades us that these blatant sins, these violations of the Ten Commandments, are, uh, are worth the price of our souls. 
that the pleasure return from breaking the Ten Commandments is worth the breaking of fellowship eternally from God? We all know what that feels like. We've also come to those temptations in some form or other. But that's just the beginning of temptation. The devil also tempts you to be sick of yourself when you sin. And he tempts you to strive to fix that problem by becoming religious. He tempts the religious to law-keeping, to salve our guilty conscience before God, persuading us that it'll actually work if we try hard enough, that you'll be clean if you try hard enough. He tempts successful law-keepers to pride, And to disdain of others who are not quite as successful at law keeping as they are. He tempts failed law keepers to despair or hypocrisy to cover up their failures. He tempts those who are aware of uh, our legalistic tendencies to use the law to clean ourselves up before God. He tempts us to abuse our liberties in Christ, to parade around in our licentiousness. He tempts us to think, we can always confess this sin and turn away from it tomorrow. He tempts us to think that we're doing pretty good. We don't really need to hear God's word preached and to come partake of the sacrament every week. He tempts us to view our spiritual gifts as unique and indispensable and somehow due to our own greatness rather than God's grace. He tempts you to believe that it will absolutely kill you to confess your sin and to give it up forever. He tempts you to feel too shameful to ask for forgiveness from God or for some other person. He tempts you to think that your sin isn't so bad. And then when you've believed that for long enough, he leaps in for the kill like a lion roaring, tempting you to believe that your sin is too great for God to forgive. He wants to keep you in never-ending cycles of lust, despair, self-righteousness, self-justification, and pride. And your heart is happy to comply, to work with him on that. Because your heart is sick, it's self-protective in its sin, and it will deceive you all day long so that you don't even realize you're being tempted John Calvin wrote, Whoever implores the assistance of God to overcome temptations acknowledges that unless God deliver him, he will be constantly falling. The devil is after our faith. He wants to distract us from God. He wants us to believe the wrong things about God and about ourselves. He wants to undermine and erode our faith, our confidence, our trust in God. You should read C.S. Lewis's Screwtape Letters if you haven't read those uh, for a little bit of insight, maybe, into the devil's tactics. You might be surprised 
But the point of that suggestion is not to inspire you to become fully aware of all those tactics so that you can fight harder. It's to frighten you into the reality that you don't stand a chance. Right? The devil's been doing this for a long time. He's smarter than you. He's tempted better people than you. And your heart has been his willing accomplice all your life. So if anything's going to change, it's got to be because God does it. And that's why Jesus tells us to pray. We need to be changed on a fundamental level that we can't reach. It's the level of our affections. It's the level of our desires. You cannot make yourself want something or not want something. Your heart wants sin. That's why you keep giving in to temptation, right? That's why you keep on sinning. It's because your heart wants it. And with this petition of the Lord's Prayer, you're asking God, change my heart. Give me a new heart. Protect me from what I really want to do. There's something broken about what I want, and the devil totally knows how to play my heart against me. Overwhelm me, God, with new affections for you, for your glory, for your beauty and majesty and grace in my life. Be thou my vision, God. Strengthen my faith to be able to withstand the devil's lies because my heart is prone to believe them. And God answers this prayer for us as he sets himself before us in the gospel. Satan wants to blind you to the gospel truth by lies, just flat-out lies, and also by half-truths. Right? He wants to blind you to the gospel truth, so you need to know the full truth, the gospel truth about God. God is the source of all glory. He is infinitely more glorious than anything that you can accrue for yourself through sin and rebellion and self-seeking. God is the source of all beauty and love, and only he can truly satisfy you. Nothing can compare to him. And false intimacy, false pleasures, lusts, greeds are just distortions of him, and they will kill you. God is ultimately trustworthy and dependable. He never changes. His word is his bond. God is better than any sin with which you can be tempted. And every time you follow your heart in its temptations, it is a tragedy of cosmic proportions because you've believed the devil's lie that sin is better than God. And um, being utterly affronted by the slightest of your sins. God remains glorious and beautiful and steadfast and also merciful. He is not tempted with evil. He will never affront himself. He will not permit sin to avail against him. He will not allow our guilt to tarnish and stain his righteousness. He will punish sin because he is God. And the good news that the devil is working overtime to get you to disbelieve is this, that 2,000 years ago outside of Jerusalem, God placed your sins and your guilt on the shoulders of Jesus Christ, his own son, and punished him in your place in order to spare you the punishment that you deserve for affronting God with your sin, your preference of sin over him.
Meditate on that because the devil absolutely hates it. And this is the gospel truth that changes your eternal destiny. It changes your life in the here and now. It changes your heart. It's through faith in this gospel that the Spirit of God gives you a new heart. New affections for God instead of against Him. You don't just need to be made nicer and more moral because the devil can tempt you to sin in apparently good ways just as easily as he can tempt you to sin in blatantly bad ways. You need to be delivered from his power. You need to be made totally new, and that happens by God's grace, and only Jesus can do this. Listen to what it says in Hebrews chapter 2. Since therefore the children, that's us, share in flesh and blood, he himself, Jesus himself, likewise partook of the same things. He became flesh and blood. The Son of God was incarnated, became also a man. That through death, through his own death, he might destroy the one who has the power of death, The power of death is sin and temptation. That through his own death he might destroy the one who has the power of death, that is the devil, and deliver all those who through fear of death were subject to lifelong slavery. For surely it's not angels that he helps, but he helps the offspring of Abraham, that is, those who believe in his mercy. Therefore, he had to be made like his brothers in every respect, so that he might become a merciful and faithful high priest in the service of God to make propitiation for the sins of the people. Making propitiation for sins is removing God's anger that we rightly deserve for our sin. For because he himself has suffered when tempted, he is able to help those who are being tempted. Jesus didn't just... uh, become like us and suffer temptations like us so that he could sympathize with us and be a good example for us, right? Those things are true. He did that, but he became a man like us for more than that. It's through his death he broke the devil's power. He erased the guilt of all of our failings before temptation. And in doing so, he gave us every reason to believe and trust in God rather than the tempter. So now, as Christians, when we pray, lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil, this is what we're praying. Our Father, you gave up your Son to temptation and death in our place. Your love for us is absolutely compelling. We know something about who you are and about what you've done for us, Please keep our eyes fixed on you. Please conquer our hearts further with your glory and your beauty. Please make us aware of the deceitfulness of our hearts and make our old temptations less powerful, less appealing to us. We are prone to wander and we feel it. Be thou our vision. God, do what you have to do to change my affections. You've said, God, in 1 Corinthians 10, no temptation has overtaken you that is not common to man. 
God is faithful and he will not let you be tempted beyond your ability, but with the temptation he will also provide the way of escape that you may be able to endure it. Father, be true to your word. Prove yourself trustworthy again. If you do not provide the way of escape, if you don't lead me, then I will go straight to temptation and sin. In our Old Testament reading, Proverbs 30, who prays like this? Give me neither poverty nor riches. I'm sure that most of us probably think we're on the poverty end of the spectrum and we need more of the riches end of the spectrum. But he says, give me neither poverty nor riches. Feed me with food that's needful for me. Give me the daily bread that I need. Lest I be full in my riches, I be full and deny you and say, who's the Lord? Or lest I be poor and steal and profane the name of my God. God, you've got to orchestrate my life here in every way. If you give me too much, I'm going to blow it. If you give me too little, I'm going to blow it. It's got to be just right. We pray in advance. Before we're in the heat of the battle, when we get up in the morning, we put on the armor of God in prayer. As it says in Ephesians 6, I'm not going to read all of the armor of God passage, but it says, In all circumstances, take up the shield of faith, with which you can extinguish all the flaming darts of the evil one. And take the helmet of salvation and the sword of the Spirit, which is the word of God, praying at all times in the Spirit with all prayer and supplication. And then when you encounter temptation during the day, you pray fast. And you say, Father, I'm not even close to being able to handle this. I won't be able to try harder my way out of this. You've got to deliver me from evil. And that's the prayer of complete dependence on your Heavenly Father. That's the prayer that honors Jesus as your Savior, the Deliverer. That's the prayer that acknowledges the Spirit's work in your heart to give you a new heart and new affections for God. It's the prayer for God's glory and His power and His love to be exalted in your life to win over temptation and sin and death and the devil, which He only does through the gospel of Jesus Christ. Amen. Let's pray. Father, we beg that you would lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from the evil one. Amen.